Just a quick heads up, this show contains sensitive and graphic material that might not be for everyone. If you don't enjoy in-depth true crime, humor about true crime, and drinking, please don't continue. We want to be respectful of the victims in these crimes, but as for the criminals, we just don't give a shit. Welcome to Crimes and Cocktails, a podcast where we explore true crime while drinking a customized cocktail created by Tabitha and Katie. Hey guys, it's Tabitha. And I'm Katie. Welcome back to Crimes and Cocktails. We made it back. Woo! We're live. <laughs> we know we missed a week last uh, last week, guys, and we're sorry about that. Like, if you don't know, Katie is now a married woman. I, I was uh, made an honest woman. She's an honest woman. Yeah. Yes. You're not living in sin anymore. <laughs> uh, yes. But, uh, yeah, so the wedding was crazy. Maybe a little bit too crazy for some people. And uh, all I'm going to say... I was not the most drunk at my own wedding, so that's a win. <laughs> it's just like, you're so drunk, and then it's like, it's only 11. <laughs> I know. I did a, a daytime wedding. Um, and an open bar. So some people couldn't handle and that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. You were in bed by 10. <laughs> no, I actually don't know what time you were. I was in bed by 10. I, I was so I went to tired. I like 2 a.m. I know that we had. <laughs> I was we had, almost up for 24 hours. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Because we had plans to go out to the bars for your wedding and everything like after the wedding. But I yeah. was so tired at the end of it. I was just like. Katie, <laughs> please don't hate me. <laughs> but I'm so tired. I just want to order pizza and pass out. <laughs> and it was glorious. No, we went out and I told Taylor, we're only going to stay out for a little bit, okay? Like an hour because there's other people that wanted to go out and we'll make our appearance and we'll go home. It didn't happen um, <laughs> for much longer. And then we left for our honeymoon the next morning. And I was like, see ya. And I just like reclined my chair and went to sleep. you like wake up suddenly refreshed with mickey mouse ears on (laughs) i know i'm like and then suddenly i'm getting carted around in a wheelchair (laughs) oh yeah okay so we do have to share this story actually (laughs) i kind of shared it a little bit on our single shop but not for everyone to hear so the day after Katie's wedding, I stayed at my friend's house up in Sacramento and I was like all refreshed. You know, I got a good like nine hours of sleep, all bushy tailed and everything excited about the day. And I'm walking down his stairs. He has carpeted stairs. I'm wearing socks and I'm talking to my friend and uh, we're going downstairs to like make breakfast. And my right foot slips out in front of me and my back foot swings behind me and it bends on the step and it's a loud crack. And I'm just like, fuck. So if you guys don't know this before, I badly sprained my left ankle in 2016. It was actually the night Trump got elected. (laughs) I couldn't believe it happened and I blacked out that night and broke my ankle. Um, (laughs) Good times. We all wanted to black out that night. (laughs) But this happened completely sober and... It was the most immense pain 
ever. Like I was like, I definitely broke it. I've got to go to the urgent care or something like that. But ended up icing it. And my brother and his wife had to come pick me up to take my car because we're all still up in Sacramento, drive (laughs) back here. And then I went to urgent care here and got x-rays and it was just a sprain. But I was on crutches and bed rest for like a week and a half and couldn't (laughs) do anything. And it was really, really like I had no groceries or any. I couldn't barely like cook or anything. I had a, a kitchen chair I put just to like sit on to like cook at the <laughs> the stovetop. <laughs> it was a disaster. And Katie's on her honeymoon and then Yep. <laughs> and then um on my third day of my honeymoon, Galaxy's Edge, <laughs> like eight AM, nine AM. I don't know, it was the beginning of our day at Disney. Um, on our last day at Disney. And I totally slipped <laughs> and fell. <laughs> Crack. <laughs> Gosh, I, I fucked up my left ankle. <laughs> so, we matched, um, <laughs> and not in a good way. And I tried to like, you know, walk it off. And I was like in line for some rides, and I was like, Taylor, I can't do this. It hurts so bad. <laughs> I can't do this. I'm gonna go back to the hotel, and you enjoy the rest of your day at Disney. And he's like, No, we're not doing that. <laughs> got me a wheelchair he's wearing his groom like around all day and i was holding my bridal ears and then people kept on being like oh congratulations um well they think you're the saint who married the cripple girl like that's what happened hey man if you gotta play with that mandy Moore role a little bit you know like got six months to live and he married me anyway seriously i shut up and um yeah, and I, but I had fun with it. I mean, we got to skip ahead on a lot of rides. I felt bad. It was hell embarrassing because they're like on one part. We went onto the tram and they had to put like this these blocks behind my wheelchair so that I wouldn't roll out of the tram. <laughs> roll out. <laughs> Uh, and I was made Taylor take a, a snapshot of me in the wheelchair rolling around so I could be like, <laughs> they see me roll. Gosh. I would have loved a, a wheelchair, but I live upstairs, and yeah, I ain't gonna happen. Not possible at all. But it was. It, I know on, when we got back because we live upstairs as well. I had to like hold on to Taylor and like hobble my way up. Oh yeah, that was rough. <laughs> and uh, it's just such. I mean, there's never a good time to injure your ankle, guys. Like there just never is. Yeah. But my job, if you guys don't know, I work at a racetrack, and I have to be on my feet a lot, running around for events. And we had an event in Long Beach for the Long Beach Grand Prix that I need to be on my feet on for five days. And then in a week, I have a trans, another race. And then a week after that, another race. And then the week after that, I'm actually going to Ireland. And Ooh. so a lot of time that I need to be on my feet. And I'm like, fucking A. <laughs> like, it's a good thing we haven't done an Irish case yet. So it's still safe for you to go. Oh, gosh. Let's not... <laughs> Knock on the desk here. We'll do one after. <laughs> yeah. What What are we always saying, guys? It's uh, been a day. <laughs> it's been a day. It's been a life. It's been a life. Um, I'm honestly, like, it couldn't have been my wedding without something happening. So, but Fortunately, it didn't happen at the wedding. But no. everyone at my work is like, oh, you probably were drunk in high heels. And I'm like, oh, this does not look good. <laughs> Yo, I wasn't. It was sober in socks. I know. My friend stares. My boss calls me gimpy now, and I'm just like, what the fuck, dude? 
swim. <laughs> <laughs> Probably could. Ableist. <laughs> but yeah, so we're back and we needed, you know, just to take an extra week off, but we are getting back on track and uh, we need to finish up, up Leonard Frazier because we know you guys love that case. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we left you on a little bit of a cliffhanger there um, when we finished part one. Leonard Frazier um, had just done, you know, like the lighthearted little end of the story for part one and uh yeah like raping and poisoning his landlady's dog oh yeah you know um yeah it was horrible okay (laughs) i don't know why this this is so inappropriate and now that i've said too much i feel like i have to finish my train of thought you have to continue this is kind of cocktails there's a warning at the beginning when i was in long beach there's a place called dog house and it's like a hot dog place and i couldn't remember what it was called and on there was like, oh yeah, we're gonna get a hot dog. I'm like, oh yeah, doggy styles, right? <laughs> Dude, that's because there was doggy styles in Monterey. Thank Do you remember you. that place? Thank you. Yes. Okay, I was trying to tell them that. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure there's a place called Doggy Styles, and they're like, yeah, okay, has it been a while? And just and I'm like, no, <laughs> really, is a place. But now, no, when they- it was doggy styles. Remember, we met the guy from the morning show. Yes. It was like it was like two a.m. after the bars closed, and we were drunk as fuck in this place called Doggy Styles, getting a hot dog. And this radio show host that we both used to listen to was there, and we're like, hey. "I'm pretty it's sure." Like I never. I actually don't know if it was a fever dream or not. I never listened to that radio station except for their like morning show. Yeah, because they were like pretty funny, and that's when I used to listen to radio. But yeah, yes. Now we have podcasts. So yeah, yeah. So we're gonna get back Let's into it to us instead. Uh, yeah. But first, we got a drink, and um, we have a couple drinking things to do here for you guys. So first, oh, yeah. we're gonna take some shots because I don't have I don't have a button. I need to get a button. But uh, we have a new patron. So welcome, Yay. Caitlin, with a yeah. C. Caitlin's unite and an I. You spell your name wrong, but we're still happy to have you. Thank you so much, Caitlin, for joining the team. And we're going to take a couple shots for you throughout the episode. And then we also yes. want to welcome back James, who was a patron, and now he's back. So welcome back to uh, the cool kids, you know. Must be yes. doing something, right? <laughs> or maybe not, and they've been bamboozled. <laughs> <laughs> we keep them coming back. Keep them coming back. So let's first shots for you, Caitlin. Cheers. Oh. Okay, just getting easier. <laughs> and uh, we have a drink this week. I know last uh, episode we said just drink the bottle of whiskey. You might need that actually for this episode, but I said, well, you know what? Let's just let's just make it fruity and and have something kind of fun, right? <laughs> something fun to look <laughs> Gotta have to. some fun today. So I'm calling this the uh, Rockhampton Punch, which is very insensitive, and I uh, don't apologize about it because you already know that we're that way. So. Um, we're going to take a cocktail shaker and we're going to add one pump of mango monin, two ounces of vodka, some mint, some ice. We're going to shake, going to pour it in your little punch glass and you're going to top with some guava, Bundaberg. I don't know if it's Bundaberg or Bundaberg. I don't know. You tell us. Uh, some Bundaberg sparkling fruit drink and cheers. Yeah. It's muy delicioso. Yeah. So, 
You be can... the last thing you're enjoying tonight. Yeah. Just savor it, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so be sure to check out our Instagram, guys. That is at Crimes and Cocktails. And if you want to email us and tell us about your day or... Or how to say Bundaberg. Yes. <laughs> Crimes.cocktails at gmail.com. And if you want to be cool, like the cool kids like Caitlin and James, you can join our Patreon. At patreon.com slash crimes and cocktails. And if you want to check out our Twitter where I post, I think, once a month. Uh, <laughs> cocktails crimes. Yes. So rate and review is another thing you can do if you're listening right now and you're not already annoyed by our voices. Uh, you should click the like <laughs> and subscribe. And you should leave us a review because that is the way that we can get more listeners like you. So Yes. Woohoo. And we can get do more things. Do so. more things. Yeah. All right, guys. So, cheers, mates. Drink this drink. Yep. And we're going to get into it. Might as well. Might as well just jump on in. So, yep. we were, I think, in the year 1998 at the end of the last episode. Yep. And if you remember, Fraser was living in a small mining town called Mount Morgan in 97. And then he had moved to Rockhampton. So, just going to do... A really quick recap on Leonard's criminal history. I'm just going to briefly read this uh, his like records up to this point. They are in order that they were charged, um, and the year is when they were committed. So it's a little confusing, but you're going to get the gist that uh, this guy's just bad news. So, 1966 stealing, 1986 assault, 1969 stealing a car, 1969 unlicensed driving 1970 unlicensed driving 1970 offensive behavior 1971 unlicensed driving he really liked to drive apparently 1971 larceny 1971 stolen goods 71 stealing 72 unlicensed driving again 72 living on earnings of prostitution i think he was kind of like the yeah, point person yeah. for the prostitutes big pimpin big pimpin 72, assault and robbery. 72, stealing. 74, assault with intent to rape. So now we're getting on the more aggressive uh, crimes here. 1982, aggravated assault on female. 1972, stolen goods. 1971, theft. 72, unlicensed driving. Again, dude, just get your license already. Like, I don't know how hard it is. In 82, aggravated assault. 85, rape. And in 97, threatening and abusive language, which I think was like a $100 fine. So I find that an interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I don't that know. is an interesting one. <laughs> and this doesn't include poor Marie, if you guys remember in the last episode, who he raped repeatedly, including in the chapel just a few months before she passed away from cancer or one of the other attempted rapes that he did. So... By 1997, he had committed dozens of theft and burglary, and he had assaulted and attempted to rape at least three women, I'm pretty sure more, and he brutally raped three women. And something I did not tell you guys about was some of the rapes he committed while living in Mount Morgan. And one of those incidents included a 10-year-old girl who he raped with his fingers and then threatened to kill her if she told anyone. So this poor girl did not tell anyone for two years. Um, and it's believed that while Fraser lived in Mount Morgan, he lived there for about 11 months, that he raped around 16 women between his between their early teens and 20s. So 
He's a real piece of shit. Yep. And has had many a times been arrested and in jail and for some reason released many a times. So and then 1999 is when we get to Rockhampton with the dog fuckery and uh, yeah. But first I want to back up a little bit. Uh, I didn't really want to go all into the whole murder thing in the last uh, episode. So we kind of jumped a, a ship here, but we're going to take it back just a little bit before the dog incident. So, yeah. And then I just want to mention also real quick that all of those crimes didn't include his earlier reported crimes when he was at the boys school. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. And raped other boys there. So it's been a lifetime. <laughs> yeah. All right. So now a little bit about Rockhampton, Queensland. Rockhampton is known for mainly two things, railroads and beef. (laughs) Fun. It's an, what was that? I said fun. (laughs) Yes, yes, the good stuff. Uh, It's an industrial and agricultural city along the coast. It's the gateway to the Great Barrier Reef. Or should it be Barrier Beef? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I couldn't resist. (laughs) <laughs> sorry just gotta collect myself <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh yes um in 2018 its population was about 78,592 uh it's described as the perfect city um <laughs> where someone can blend in without drawing any unwanted attention it's also been compared to the mississippi south of america uh, this city is also home to some of the nation's worst crimes, Leonard's included, obviously. Um, and then the book that we are um, basing a lot of this um, information from describes it as the nation's underbelly and rednecks. So obviously we've never been there, but we have been to Salinas and they sound a lot like... And it's like half the size of Salinas. <laughs> yeah. Like, which... I don't know. To me, I was thinking like this really large industrial city. And then when I read the population was actually looking at that, I was like, what? This place is tiny, but just different. I mean, California is also just, we got LA and Sacramento. So those are major cities. So yeah, I think it's hard because California has so many actual large cities that i think of salinas as just this small yeah we're like area. it's such a tiny little town and then i'm like actually it's, like, it's not <laughs> no it's like 163,000 people so gosh it's uh, it's much bigger yeah so this first uh victim here is julie turner now 39 year old julie don turner had gone drinking out of the bars after getting into a fight with her boyfriend michael I know it doesn't say Mikuchi, but I keep wanting to say that because okay. of that TikTok lady. Charcucci board. Charcucci board? Yes. <laughs> I'm like, exactly Mick Kanochi, I want to, I, I believe. Michael Mick Kanochi. That's what I'm Mick Kikuchi. Okay, Kikuchi. <laughs> and the uh, two were a de facto husband and wife couple for the past four years. Michael had three kids prior to Julie and Julie had one daughter from a previous relationship and they Brady Bunch. kind of made this uh yeah Brady Bunch <laughs> little happy family um but maybe not so happy actually because look at all my happy family yeah Julie was in therapy for domestic abuse at that time so 
Although Michael has never admitted to abusing Julie, it's pretty evident that he was, and Julie would resort to heavy drinking to kind of escape all of this. So, and she would, I, I was trying to like understand this, uh, because she actually like left her purse at home and everything like that. And so what I think she would do, she would just take out an X amount of cash because she knew that she would just Mm -hmm. drink until she had no more money and then just bring the cash, which I'm like, that's pretty smart. Maybe I yeah. should do that. I wish I was that smart when I went out. No, I, I buy people rounds and then I'm like, oh, crap. Yeah. Why am I $200 yeah, in I'm debt? Like, there goes my paycheck. Yeah. Well, now you have Venmo, so it just is even more dangerous. So, yeah. But she would drink until she ran out of cash and then she was just really, really friendly with everyone around her. And so people would buy her drinks and just how it goes. Bartender said she was always super friendly and they really didn't have to worry about her. Around this time, she was pretty sure that Michael was cheating on her and she had met an older man from one of the meat factories that seemed to be really nice. He lived with his sister who he would always refer to as, quote, silly in the head, which she thought meant maybe she had some disabilities. So she told her friend, Julie Mahal, that she was thinking of leaving Michael maybe to be with this older man who she had gone on about four dates with. And if you haven't guessed already, that older man's name was Lenny Frazier. So also that uh, silly in the head sister was actually mentally disabled 19 year old Christine Raitt. I know I kind of glazed over Christine in the last episode, but she's not someone I want to glaze over. So, poor 19-year-old Christine Raitt was basically Lenny's sex slave. Um, It's really, really sick and fucked up. If you guys remember in the last episode, I said that he would prey on disabled women. Uh, That's what he did here. And I think I mentioned that there was a woman on the bus that he was bothering. That was Christine. He was basically talking to her every single day, kind of stalking her bothering her until he kind of convinced her to be in a relationship with him and then they moved in together and she thought "Eh, that this is normal and this is fine and it's really really sick and fucked up and uh he would demand sex from from her multiple times a day and if she did wasn't doing what he wanted or she just didn't have the strength to have sex with him or you know she's exhausted or whatever he would rape her And he would only let her watch TV, and then he would lock her in a room whenever he would go out on the town. So, total, total fucked up piece of shit. And the the really sad thing about this, as I was reading, is, like, she thought she was happy. And so, Mm -hmm. her brother, I guess, was, like, checking in on her or something like that. And he's just like, yeah, I don't know, like, what's going on with their relationship. So, I... I don't know much details about her and what her family mm-hmm. thought about this or whatever, but it's really fucked up. So, yeah. Okay, so back to Julie Turner. So, it's Sunday night on December 27th, 1998, and she goes out to karaoke at a place called The Horn Bar. Apparently, she was on a search for uh, the song Runaway Train. <laughs> Fun fact. I don't know. <laughs> so she's I, in the town with trains and beats. What I read. So end of the night and she only has about $5 and the bouncer asks if she needs a cab. Um, but she says, I'm not going home and I'll be back for karaoke next week. 
and that's around 2 a.m., and she walks down the street, and that's the last time they saw her. Frazier had been out that night and had been following her. He watched her as she stumbled out of the bar and down the street, and he slowly followed her until she stopped to roll a cigarette. Um, he made sure that no one was around, took off his shoes so that she wouldn't hear him, ran up behind her, so and creepy. punched her in the neck. I know. <laughs> um, and when he punched her in the neck, he later said that he heard her bones break. He then laid her limp body on the grass, ripped her jeans, and took off her bra and strangled her in case there was any life left. He took off her sandals and threw them to the side. Um, and police would later find her sandals and her bra, like, over in the grass. Um, he then raped her, um, and, you know, he had made sure that she couldn't reject him or struggle or anything like that. Um, however, he did not feel like he was completely satisfied, so he dragged her body behind a bush and then freaked out when a taxi drove by, um, and it showed some light on his chest, and then um, he dumped Julie's clothes in a trash bin outside a nearby house, ran home, and bathed. It was about 4 a.m. at that point, and then at 6 a.m., Fraser came back the next day to move the body. So he loaded her naked body in his car, um, and then this is crazy, <laughs> um, but there was a police car across the street inspecting a broken window at a shop at the same time he was doing that. Gosh. Like, I don't know how he missed that or the balls on Fraser to do that in front of a cop, but right there you have that. I feel like... So, I don't know, like, I feel like someone, if they saw police officers, they just keep going, you know? Yeah, yeah, seriously. Um, he drove her body to uh, Kinka Beach off of a scenic highway through a graveyard um, of abandoned cars. And then he went to the last telephone pole, parked, and dragged her. He's still barefoot, by the way. Um, and he dragged her through the sand into a dense bush area. He covered her body with random branches um, and then also remember, this is summer in Australia, so it's really humid and there are bugs and mosquitoes and snakes all around. Yeah, like when I was reading about this, I kept in my, I just, in my mind, I kept thinking that it was like really cold and because it's December and, you know, like yeah. the seasons are reversed. And then I was reading something about it being hot and I'm like, oh, that's right. Like it's their yeah. summer, which yes. I don't know why it just makes it so much worse to me. Like, I don't know. Yeah. So... Four days later, at 8.15 a.m. on New Year's Eve, her husband, Michael, reported her missing. She had left her purse at home with things like credit cards and such. And um, I'm guessing, like we said before, she didn't really have, like, she knew her lemon drinking, so she only brought cash out to the bars. Um, he figured that she had gone off with friends to cool off from their argument earlier. Um, and then, you know, she never came back. So the police uh, looked for her for a long time, but eventually figured she had just run off and her body wasn't found until two years later. It's so sad. So this is really gross. Um, after Leonard had left her there and drove off to a grocery shop, he began thinking about going back to visit her remains. Uh, so some weeks or months later, he actually did go back and he removed her head, placing it in a trash bag. He left behind her jawbone. Police believe she had decomposed a lot by this time. Again, it was summer and she was outdoors. Um, so decapitating her by hand was pretty easy. And then Fraser buried her head separately at Kemp Beach. He later told inmates that the head was the most identifying feature of a human body. So he had gone by again to get rid of that. So gross. 
Mm-hmm. It's just gross to me that he, like, as he's just going to go run, like, a typical errand for himself, like, go to the grocery store and stuff, he's like, I already, like, want to go back and visit it. Like, trying to relive it again. Yeah. Just, Ugh. blah. He's this is, I mean, and this is the first time that we for sure know he murdered someone, but I feel yeah. like it's so escalated. I mean, from him, like, removing his shoes to, like, sneak up on her and just... I don't think it's his first time. Yeah. I think there's other yeah. incidents that we just don't know about. Yeah. So on March 1st, 1999, this is about three months after he murdered Julie, Frazier had 36-year-old Beverly Lego over at his flat. The two had met a few years ago at a hostel and then later in Mount Morgan. And for some reason, I think there was a connection because her boyfriend had met Frazier in jail previously. So that's always a great way to start a friendship. Yep. <laughs> uh, so she had a really sweet nature. She's described as just like a really sweet, trusting person. And that the two of them had become somewhat of friends that would randomly go on walks together and she would just listen to Frazier rant about whatever. But there were times that she definitely got creeper vibes from him. Like, no shit, dude. And uh, yeah. he would say really One inappropriate stuff to her, but she just kind of would like tell him like no or like let it go or something like that. And around this time, she had been diagnosed with schizophrenia, and it also sounds like she may have had a drug problem. Like, it was a little bit hard, honestly, for me to find a whole lot of information on her, but I do feel like there was, like, maybe her parents were trying to help her get some help, but she was also on drugs, which is a very common thing for people with um, mental health issues as they tend to resort to... trying to self-medicate. Yeah, which is really, really sad. Um... So it sounds like she happened to bump into Fraser at the mall and he invited her over for coffee and like a shower and get cleaned up. And she comes over, she showers, she wears one of Christine's dresses, who is his sister, quote unquote. And um, also side note, about this time, Christine was getting beaten pretty badly by Fraser, and she was like in and out of the hospital for these beatings, which is just... I just feel so bad for this woman. Gosh. I know. Uh, so she gets cleaned up and then Fraser drives her back to the hotel she was staying at. And the next day he returns to the area to, I think, purposely kind of bump into her, to be honest. And she's like trying to figure out some kind of money situation is really confusing on what she was doing there. And he tells her, Hey, like I just finished grocery shopping. I've got to go to this town over here. Do you, uh, want to ride, you can come with me. And she's like, okay, sure. He's like, I just got to drop off my groceries, like off of my apartment first. Never trust him with groceries. No, apparently no. That's like the only thing he knows how to do. I guess I have no idea. Yeah. So while they're driving, they break out into an argument and the two of them just, I don't get into, we have no idea what. And Fraser just, he decides to put his hand on her leg And I don't know why, like, maybe some kind of sexual advance or something, but she, like, swats at him, like, no, I'm not interested. And the sting of rejection just, like, overtook him. So he immediately just punches her in the head. Like, that's just his go-to move, just punch. And so she immediately slumps over. She's gurgling on her own blood, and her body starts to convulse. Frazier immediately, his mind goes to, I have to dispose of her, like, not even like oh let me make sure she's okay or whatever like he's just like nope she's not gonna survive this i need to get rid of her so he turns down a road 
down to a dirt road that was parallel to Nankin Creek. And he noticed that there's a swimmer hole, a swimming hole a little bit farther down the road. And he drives about 200 feet further and he goes under a bunch of these mango trees. He parks, he gets out, he carries her kind of lifeless body at this point into the tall, thick grass. And there's like a bush area there. He finds a spot. It's there that he removes her clothes and he turns it into a tourniquet around her neck and he strangles her just in case she's still alive. So the autopsies actually reveal later that this noose was so tight around her that there were bone fragments and like her larynx was separated and into the fragment, uh, into the, uh, the tourniquet, which is horrific. And while he's doing this, he then rapes her. And then he covers her up with a lot of long grass. He tries to like sweep up his drag marks and his footprints and everything like that. And he goes back to the car and then he drives to a boat ramp outside of Rockton where he puts rocks in her purse and throws it into the river to get rid of the evidence. So you guys have seen pictures of him and obviously we've seen pictures of him. We'll post more, but he doesn't look like that big of a guy. Yeah. But it was like his anger gave him like this Hulk rage to punch her in the head so hard that she was gurgling on her own blood like immediately yeah, well, he... and then the same thing um with uh um oh my gosh julie <laughs> just said, julie before where he just came behind and punched her in the neck and then bones broke like that's yeah. just crazy to but me he also think... did do like some boxing too kind of a little yeah. bit too so he yeah. and he would brag about his punch like all the time like oh i've got the one two punch kind of a thing which is you're punching women you fucking pussy ass piece of shit like yep exactly fucking gross weak man so and then on november 20th 2000 some poor innocent soul was walking and stumbled across the remains of 19-year-old Sylvia Bendetti at Sandy Point near Rockhampton. Her body was partially buried in the sand with no clothing on her badly decomposed remains. Um, And then it was determined at that point, um, after, you know, coroner looked at her, that she had died of a major head trauma to the left side of her face, um, which had been beaten in by a heavy object. Gosh. Uh, Sylvia was apparently killed in a vacant room of the Queenslander Hotel, which was due for a demolition. A large quantity of blood consistent with hers was found in the room, and some of her clothing was located in a freezer unit. Leonard had killed her there on April 18, 1999, before he found out that it was scheduled for demolition. So a couple of days later, on April 21st, he was talking with somebody, and they told him, like, oh, hey, did you know they're tearing down the old Queenslander Hotel? And, of course, uh, he was like, he knew what he had done there. And he allegedly said, they can't do that. And then he was later seen by some witnesses near the hotel again. And then later he was also spotted where Sylvia's remains were found. Um, and there was a year in between when he killed her and when they actually found her remains. Um, and then after Leonard's arrest... Sylvia's blood was found in the trunk of his car and on a cigarette paper in his glove box. So this next murder is probably one of the most heartbreaking ones. And that's not to say at all that 
these other murders are not heartbreaking at all, but, um, Kira Steinhardt was only nine years old. And so just be warned. This is pretty hard to hear, to be honest. So, yeah. So nine-year-old Kira, she had been asking her parents if she could walk home by herself from school. And they always told her no, because there was another little boy down the street that had been hit by a car. I think he was riding his bike home from school. So her parents didn't want her doing that. Um, They wanted, you know, make sure she's safe and everything. But when she turned nine, they said, okay, you can walk home from school. And I'm pretty sure that she'd only been walking home from school a couple times before this happened. Like, it was really soon. Excuse me, guys. My uh, voice is totally going out. (laughs) I was talking to a million people all weekend long, working the race, and uh, yeah, I can feel it right now. So I'm trying to make it through. (laughs) Maybe I'll take it. You know what? We'll take another shot of vodka right now because this is a really rough one. Oh, yeah. Let's take a vodka break for Caitlin. We do owe her another one. We owe her another one. It will soothe your throat. Or burn it. I don't know. (laughs) It will burn the problem off. Oh my gosh. Cheers. And also, I might need it for what we're about to describe, so. Definitely. Oh gosh. So, on Thursday, April 22nd, 1999, this is just a couple days after his last murder, by the way, uh, Kira was walking home from school, and for some reason, she decided to take a shortcut through an empty lot. And no one really knows why she did this that day. It's not her usual route, but maybe she saw other kids taking this way. Not sure. Uh, Leonard Frazier had actually seen her walking home before. I believe the day before he actually followed her home because he had already started stalking his next prey here, which is disgusting. Um, And so this day he's following her again. He's learned her route. And he slowly is creeping behind. When she goes through the lot, he comes up and he does his typical punch. However, she's a nine-year-old little sweet little thing. And so her skull was instantly crushed and fractured. Uh, It was said that her headband was like completely crushed into her. It was like those silver headbands with like the little teeth on it. Mm -hmm. It It's like crushed into her head completely. And two of her teeth were knocked out. And then he bent down in the grass and he raped her while she laid there, bleeding out, basically, and unconscious. Now, this is really disturbing on so many levels. Yeah. While this was happening, there was actually a witness to this across the street. So, Lynette Kiernan was watching the entire scene. And at it's apparently at 3.15 every single day, Mr. and Mrs. Kiernan would sit on their porch and drink coffee while they waited for their son to come home from school. And their porch had a perfect view of the lot that this all took place in. At 3.25, Lynette sees Frazier slowly walking behind Kira. And she remembers she, that she saw that man following that girl the day before. So she thinks, hmm, I wonder if maybe that's her father. Or something like that. But then she sees him creep up and go in front of her. And at 3.40, she sees Frazier strike the girl on her head. And she sees her fall down into the grass. Now, she's on the porch. Her husband's inside making the coffee. Yeah. And she turns to her husband, who's inside. And she says, that fellow just walloped that little girl. 
And so the husband comes and looks out, but there's really tall grass in the lot, so he doesn't really see anything. So he's like, hmm, interesting. And just, like, basically goes back inside, like, whatever kind of a thing, back to making his coffee. And then she sees, oh, and then at this time, their son had also come home and was on the porch with them. And Lynette sees, uh, says that she saw the man bend down on the grass, and she sees him moving up and down. And she thinks to herself, he might be trying to rape her. So she watches, and the son actually vividly remembers seeing a white t-shirt go up and down out of the grass, which is disturbing as fuck, like, oh my gosh. Yeah, why are you just sitting there and watching? Literally, (laughs) just sitting there watching. And then they keep watching, and she's basically, like, narrating this to her husband, like, oh, now he bent over, like, kind of a thing, and now he stood up, and he and he's, like, running away. So they watch as Fraser stands up, takes his shirt off, he throws the little girl's backpack off to the side, and then they see him run down the street, just shirtless. So she calls out to her husband, and she says, he's running down the street. So the husband goes to look outside to see which way he's running down the street, and then he goes back inside again. Like, I don't know what the fuck they're doing here. It's so fucking weird to me. And Frazier runs to his car, he gets into his car, and he races it, makes a U-turn, goes back to the lot where he pulls up in the lot. And Lynette yells to her husband, he has a red car. Like, she's just narrating this whole thing. And Lynette and her son proceed to watch Frazier park the car and open the trunk and place Kira in the trunk and drive off. All while narrating this whole thing, like, she's telling her husband... By the way, they call trunk in the boot in the, I'm assuming it's an Australian phrase, but they kept calling the trunk the boot. Yeah. So they, it's a a British thing, British thing too. Yeah. Like I was like, what are they talking about? (laughs) I meant to realize it, but she's like narrating like, oh, he just opened the boot. He just put her in the boot. And I'm just like, what are you fucking doing? Like I would have been calling 911 forever ago at this point i would have been calling him the day before when i saw yeah and i would have been screaming at this person like hey you get the fuck off her you know i probably would have ran out there to be honest oh yeah like oh yeah i would have grabbed like a baseball bat and ran out there or something like cannot believe this so and then it continues so he drives off with kira in the trunk of his car and she still keeps watching and Three kids that are probably walking home from school, they walk by the lot and they stop because they see something and look at it and then they take off. Uh, Police later interview these kids. They had seen a lot of blood on the ground there, like a lot of blood. And then they ran home and told their parents what they saw like right away. And the Kiernans decide to, as they drink their coffee, sit on the porch and and chit chat about what should we do? Should we, what should we do? I don't know what we should do. And then before even calling the police still, she decides to call her friend to ask for her friend's advice on what she should do. But her friend doesn't answer. So then she decides, okay, I'll just call the police anonymously and tell them. This took like 20 minutes for her to like call the police. So like, yeah. Fucking pieces of shit. Lynette Kiernan, we're calling you out by name. Yeah. So actually, <laughs> the police, you know, they had they ended up tracing the call and going and interviewing this family. And the police were appalled that the family just didn't do anything. 
at all. Yeah. And her reasoning was like that her and her husband was like disabled. And so she just didn't want to, didn't know what to do and didn't want to get involved kind of a thing. And actually like the neighborhood ended up finding out that this family reacted this way. And so a lot of people like left the area, people graffitied like their house, they got hate mail, hate calls, like, like as they should has not been easy for them at all. I just am like, there's so many things that you could do in that situation. I don't know who in their right mind at the very bare minimum wouldn't call the police. And that's the bare minimum. Yeah. It's like you said, I would be running out of that house, like swinging. <laughs> yeah. I think I would have like told my son, like you call 911 and I would have like ran out there with whatever I got. And I would have been screaming been and yelling screaming my head off, mm-hmm. throwing punches, making throwing a scene shit. or something like, hell yeah. Like that's a little girl. The second the I beginning. saw, I mean, I would probably be like, something's up here, like, right now when I saw him creeping on her, but definitely the second I would see that punch, yeah, I'd be out there like, what the fuck? So these pieces yeah. are real pieces of shit, and I hope they learn from this in massive ways, and it's really, 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 really just unfortunate. Um, that 20 minutes gave Leonard Frazier plenty of time to bring Kira to a field near the Rockhampton race course where he proceeded to slit her throat and then leave her naked body there. And then he just, he just casually threw her sweater on top of her remains. (sighs) How police were able to put out a radio and TV blast on Frazier's description and his red car. They were also notified by the Mount Morgan police um, about Fraser's history. Oh, yeah. I forgot to mention that, too. So there was yeah. a detective from Mount Morgan that was kind of following all these, like, assaults on Fraser and was, like, he had this feeling that it was Fraser, but he apparently didn't have, like, enough evidence to build a case. So he was, like, trying to build a case. And he was trying yeah. to warn Rockhampton police about, like, you guys have, like, a serial rapist there. I'm sure of it kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, like, huh. For some reason, he kept getting let go. So, yeah, here he is. So, after a few tips on Frazier and a check into his criminal history, they arrested him around 10.25 p.m. on Friday, April 23rd, 1999. Police were able to identify Frazier at the scene of the crime from one of his shoes that was left behind and tire track casings that they took. Apparently, also the footprints, um, Fraser had a small abnormality on his left foot where his pinky toe never touched the ground or left a print. So the police were able to compare the footprints to the ones they had of Fraser. It took him two weeks to confess, but then he led them to Kira's body where they were also able to identify his semen. During a search of his house, police found Leonard's collection of ponytails that he had taken from past victims and soon realized that Kira's rape and murder had not been an isolated incident. They knew that Leonard was a serial rapist, but now they were also uh, they also realized that he was a serial killer oh, as well. The ponytails. It's a fucking sicko. I thought that was interesting about the footprint. Like, I understand yeah. taking the tire castings and doing that. I, you know, see that a lot. But yeah. then I was reading about the footprint, and I'm like, that's so weird. And then I'm like, do my pinkies touch the ground? <laughs> I know. I, I like want to. like, testing it out now. <laughs> take a footprint. So it just looked like he had three toes and a big toe. <laughs> yeah. 
a thumb toe. <laughs> uh, so, as you know from last time, Leonard also confessed to the murder of Natasha Ryan, who had gone missing five years earlier. As we said in that episode um, on Natasha Ryan and on episode one, this did not turn out to be true, and Natasha was found alive and came to the trial to prove it. Um, and so if you haven't listened to that episode, we highly suggest that you go back and check it out. Um, and then apparently he had agreed to confess to um, his other murders besides Kira to avoid being placed in general population because um, he knew what would happen to him there. <laughs> and when police accused him of Ryan's murder, he just went along with like, it. Was part like, yeah, of sure, me I did is it. like, does he actually just... I don't know, because he's not well, so I'm just like, maybe he thought he did do it, like, oh, maybe he did do that, because he's just lost track. Yeah, I mean, he could have. Or maybe he's just like, it's such a high-profile case, he's like, yeah, I killed her, too, you know? I don't know. I think he just didn't want to go into general population so badly at the prison that when police were like, we know you killed her, he was just like, yeah, I did. Yeah, that could be (laughs) it, too, yeah. Um, So, moving on now to the rest of the trial... Uh, normally one of the victims turning up alive would lead to a mistrial. Um, but for some reason during this case, both the defense and prosecution agreed to move along with it as planned. So um, while awaiting for the charge of murder of Kira Steinhardt, Leonard on numerous occasions made statements incriminating him in the killings of all four murder victims um, to a fellow inmate who was just known by Quinn. Um, and he, I guess he had met him some years before in prison. Um, so he, I guess, considered him some sort of buddy or something. Um, and since Leonard was making, you know, giving Quinn a whole bunch of information about these killings, Quinn decided to approach the police about Leonard and, um, agreed to wear a recording device. So on the recording, Leonard knew details, uh, that nobody would know, um, except for the killer, like where the bodies could be found. And then during those conversations, Leonard told Quinn things, uh, like, um, sorry, I just lost track. <laughs> Leonard told Quinn that he knew he was being recorded. Um, and then also told Quinn that he appreciated that he was recording what? him. Um, because then he decided to switch tactics and say, um, actually, it was someone named Squeaky who was the killer of all these women. Um, and that he had only disposed of the bodies for Squeaky. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. So Leonard gave Quinn a letter confession by Squeaky. Squeakin'. <laughs> squeak, squeakin'. Squeak, squeaky, squeakin'. Uh, all of which Quinn subsequently, uh, who passed on to, I can totally talk English, guys. <laughs> my voice is going away. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyways, this letter contained information that the police had not released including that beverly had been with her own black panties which were left around her neck and that the location of further items of clothing belonging to julie turner and the identification of the clothing that she was wearing at the time of her murder and that sylvia bendetti was hit a number of times with a timber on the left side of her head and that a towel used by the murder to wipe up her blood was placed in a hole in a wall above the stairs of Queensland Hotel. Which is just like, the fact that he remembers all of this fucking shit is just yeah, so crazy to me. And then he uh, also went on to describe about how her clothing could be found in 
hidden in a freezer of an old refrigerator on the premises as well on that Queensland hotel. So all this information kind of backfired on him and it was used to find Leonard guilty and he was finally put away guilty. for good. Guilty. That is all. <laughs> Straight to jail. Straight to jail. <laughs> so Leonard was sentenced to three life imprisonments plus 25 years on June 13th, 2003 and brought to the Woolston Correctional Center. On December 26, 2006, he began to complain of chest pains and was taken to a nearby hospital for treatment, where he died on January 1st, 2007, of a heart attack. And you guys remember the daughter that we mentioned earlier? Uh, yeah, she in episode was, one. In, yeah, in episode one. She was notified by the jail about her father's death, and they asked her what to do with the remains, and she literally said, just throw them in the trash which I don't blame her for at all. It's a horrific thing to learn about your parent or anyone that you're related to or a friend or anything like that. So I read like an interesting article just as a quick aside um, about her um, and talking about kind of when she realized who her father was. Um, And since her mother had died, she was living with her grandmother, which was actually Leonard's mom. Um, and she had warned her grandma had warned her like never be alone with your dad ever gosh um so she had grown up just obviously not trusting him and i guess at one point for a very short period of time he lived with them and she would just push her dresser in front of her door and then bring her dog in her room with her at night um which is just like so sad and also you got to protect the dog (laughs) yeah jeez Goodness gosh. Know. Well, guys, that is Leonard disgusting piece of shit. Dog fucking <sighs> pedophile, murdering, thieving, whatever piece of shit person ever. The worst kind of person The worst ever. kind of person ever. And I'm very glad to be done with his. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, if you guys want to know a lot of details that you probably don't really need to know. So most of our sources source for this two episodes, for these two episodes was a book called Things a Killer Would Know, The True Story of Leonard Frazier by Paula Dunman. It had so much information, and I feel like we could have honestly made this like a three or four-parter, but yeah, we just had to wrap it up because I'm like, yeah, yeah. that's just too much Leonard Frazier for me. And like, I just, <laughs> I'm over it. Like, no. Yeah. I need to get out of here. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Blech. Our other sources uh, besides that book were Murderpedia.com, Medium.com, Supreme Court of Queensland Records about the case, um, CBS, and True Crime Reader. Oh, yeah. Yep. So that's Um, that. (laughs) Yeah, that's that. We're done. We're (laughs) done. Maybe we'll do something like a little bit more light uh for our next case and like a white collar crime or yeah something. you know or maybe some ghost stories or i don't know Ooh, paranormal murder yeah paranormal murder paraabnormal my friend is a police officer and she said that she's continually like having to put this guy like through like checks or whatever that he keeps saying he's being raped by ghosts and oh. uh like she like knows this person it's not like her like it's not like She's like, don't worry, it's not a case where, like, he's being abused by somebody and is saying it with Coase. He's just, he's just crazy. That's actually really sad. But I was like, but what if 
the ghost is actually doing it. You know? Hey, I, you can marry a ghost. <laughs> That's you right. By a ghost. Gotta remember about that case. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I forget about that one. Yeah, don't forget about that. Ghosts have rights too. Ghosts have rights too. 2022. <laughs> so. no, they're dead. but yeah we're gonna we're gonna have some stuff coming up and uh we're getting back on track so that's exciting and i'm married now so um instead of relaxing and we're moving so (laughs) it's always something (laughs) i mean come on but um we will when that does happen we'll try to record a whole bunch pre-record a whole bunch of stuff yes um because i'm guessing i probably won't have a computer for a minute um, or internet, I mean, for a minute, but... I was like, where's your computer going? <laughs> uh, it's moving, too, but not with us. Oh, gosh. <laughs> but uh, we'll come through. I yeah. mean, you guys, if, if anything, I'll make a phone call. <laughs> Maybe we can do something on a case in Ireland or something. Yeah. That'd oh, yeah, cool. after Tabitha gets back. With, or before, if you want to make it real fun. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, so this last weekend, uh, my work just there's a there's a girl there and she was given a very small budget to book our hotel rooms and she wasn't given a whole lot of information or anything so i really feel for her and it's totally not her fault but uh definitely the worst hotel ever that couldn't you could ever ever stay at and long beach was booked for us and oh my gosh like it was like two nights before we're supposed to leave for this work trip and my coworker who's supposed to stay there, she's like have you read the reviews on this hotel and i was like no let me look at it First of all, there are exactly 666 reviews. Definitely red flag number one. (laughs) Red devil flag number one. And (laughs) every review was just like horrendous. Everything started out with like, do all all caps, do not stay here. Uh, You know, the door wouldn't stay locked. Uh, The TV would turn on by itself. There was black mold here, like this was rotting. There was human hair found in the in the sheets and just everything oh, <laughs> that could be possibly wrong with a hotel was wrong with this one. And so we had to like show this to our boss and be like, oh my gosh, did you see this? Like we cannot stay here at all. And we ended up like switching hotels and booking it. But like I wanted to show my boss where we were going to stay. And I like drove fast so she could see it. And like just (laughs) from afar, you could see that like the windows were like stained with horror stories <laughs> like, literally the curtains no, I'm not about to had like yellowing and stuff like that <laughs> and so my other coker was like I think we we almost became an episode on your podcast it's <laughs> 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 like I'm really glad we did it but Katie you have my full authority to continue it on if, if I do get murdered so I what I would do if you ever got mur- murdered and I hope you do the same for me if I got murdered I thought you were gonna um, say and I hope you do and I was like wow no. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be real good for our number. No, I'm <laughs> um, I would, I would tell your story really well, and then I would end the podcast on that note. I hope you write a book. <laughs> yeah, I would. And, uh, you if know, I what did it. No, just <laughs> if I did it, this is how. <laughs> yeah. If it's been a life, this is how. Yeah. It was a life. This is how. It was a life. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that'd be it was a life the true crime story <laughs> by caitlin i'm not gonna say my whole name yeah. but, like, <laughs> there you go. but 
Oh, man. Um, look for it. Best-selling shelves or <laughs> yeah. wherever Let's books are sold. Let's knock on wood that that yeah, doesn't no, happen. <laughs> I, I would rather you not, honestly. Don't you put that, that juju on me, Ricky Bobby. Yeah. <laughs> all right guys well on that note we're gonna sign off and let you guys drink your sorrows away on leonard fraser so <laughs> yep yeah. we will uh see you sometime and then well i'm not gonna see you you're gonna hear me <laughs> so yeah gonna, you'll hear from me soon you'll hear from me soon we'll contact you yeah. don't contact don't contact us. and we will catch you on the flip side <laughs> bye